0: I'm Micah Utrecht, associate editor at Jacobin. Donald Trump's pick for education secretary, Betsy DeVos, has been confirmed. That means that a far-right billionaire heiress to a pyramid scheme, or I guess maybe I should say what some people have called a pyramid scheme, who has also made a career out of trying to dismantle public education in the United States, is now in charge of public education in the United States. And the party supposedly tasked with fighting back, the Democrats, has a long history of capitulation to the right on free market education reform. To discuss this admittedly bleak state of affairs, I talked to public school teacher, Jacobin editorial board member, and author of Class War, The Privatization of Childhood, Megan Erickson. What's what's coming down the pike under a, a Betsy DeVos administration?
1: I think it's terrifying, like um, pretty pretty unmet, unmitigated horror, and it's been very difficult on teachers, on school children. Um, it's kind of hard to talk about her without talking about the Trump administration in general, um, and so I think a lot of a lot of what we know right now is mostly inferences we can make based on things that Trump has said, and based on things that we know about her career in the past, Um, but it'll remain to be seen how things play out, I'm pretty sure it's going to be awful.
0: I mean, this is someone who uniquely in American education history has uh, no amount of education. The only education experience she has is in essentially trying to dismantle the sphere of public education.
1: Yeah. Yeah, going along with a trend of um, Trump's um, nominees to positions, people in power who have really mostly spent their careers dismantling whatever programs they'd be in charge of overseeing it um and i think she's part of that but she's also it's also representative of a broader trend that's um, been part of education policy since at least the 80s too towards privatization and um charter schools and vouchers.
0: But she represents the sort of radical edge of that agenda, yes, right? I yeah, mean she absolutely. has been fighting for years in uh, Michigan, my home state, uh for uh not just charter schools but like uh increased funding for religious schools, vouchers that would allow you to just t- students to take public money and take them directly to uh private religious schools. I mean, you know, the more you dig into this on th- virtual charters and just the, the level of uh, the the kinds of schools that she is pushing public resources towards uh, is sort of uh, terrifying in that it's much worse than a lot of the uh, agenda of expansion of charter schools that we've seen in the last few years
1: yes yeah and i think um i think There's multiple levels to this. So on the very basic level um, that I think liberals and leftists can agree on is the um, absolute lack of accountability and oversight. Like during the confirmation hearings, I forget who it was who asked her, um, but maybe it was Warren. But she could not even um, say that she would not... um, That she would that that there would be equal accountability for all schools, charter schools, public schools, private schools. Um, She just kept repeating like there will be accountability. I believe in accountability. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you can't commit to equal accountability, that's a pretty basic failure. I think also though she is, it's hard to think about her without thinking about her family and what she stood for um, and what she's done so far in Michigan and the whole DeVos family.
0: You were telling me earlier about, just before we get into the educational stuff specifically, the bizarre things that go on in that family, including this family constitution that I had never heard of. Yeah,
1: so I was just reading this recently that um, the DeVos family, once you're 16, you are um, inaugurated into this family meeting that they hold, they gather four times a year, like an investor relations um, conference. They have a family constitution and they part of the reason why they've been so effective at putting forward this very like coherent agenda um, that they have in michigan and now that's being translated i think nationally um, into a much broader context is that they work out their family disagreements at these meetings And, um,
0: they're like democratic centralists, like Lenin. Yeah. Yeah. Vigorous debate at home. But then when they're in public, it's a one unified front. Right. Right.
1: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But, um, but they're really good at it and they're promoting God, privatization, free market Mm -hmm. politics.
0: And of course, for, for just for those who don't know, I mean, this is a family, the, the, uh, this is a marriage of this, one of the sort of. Uh, dynasties of West Michigan Uh, she came from the Prince family who had made their fortune in auto parts uh, and the DeVosses along with uh, the Van Andels had made their fortune uh, through creating Amway uh, the great I guess it's not a pyramid scheme, legally speaking.
1: Well, they don't have evidence of it, but I don't think we can say definitively it's not.
0: Yes, some have said. (laughs) We can can do the Trump line. People are saying that they're a pyramid scheme, folks. I'm not saying that. it's tremendous. It's it's tremendous. So they're this sort of like... She married into the uh, from one dynasty into the other. It's almost right. just like a, you know, like a bourbon. Like, no, yeah, it's it's
1: up. it's aristocratic for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think it it represents like a, on a basic level, this is billionaires in who are now um, being inaugurated into public policy and they're the face of public policy. Um, and and yes, there have been rich people who have held these posts before Lamar Alexander was worth like two million dollars. We're talking about a family that has like incredible resources so i I do think it's it's a bit of a departure there um, in terms of her experience, as we were discussing earlier um she so so she yes, she's never been a teacher. she's never attended um public schools. And there have been people in the past who have been, like Clinton, um, Richard Riley, who was a South Carolina governor, who was appointed to the Department of Ed by Clinton, um, had never been a public school teacher, but these were still people that were in positions of elected office and much more public, um, personas. And I think that's part of the fear around her. It's, there's also the, another trend that she kind of represents the height of, which is philanthropy in education and, and philanthropy, um, as opposed to democracy driving education policy and the agendas of the, um, Department of
0: Ed. So explain that. What do you mean by philanthropy as opposed to so democracy?
1: so 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 it's not parents and it's not kids. Whatever Davis Guggenheim would have us believe, these are not the people that are um, promoting or pushing for choice policies. Really, increasingly, they're they're less and less popular with families across the the socioeconomic spectrum. It is private foundation wealth that has been. Driving schools towards privatization um, and also towards standards and accountability, which is also increasingly unpopular with um, with actual families in public schools and with teachers. So, for example, the Walton Family Foundation, um, the Gates Foundation, these are sources of enormous wealth and money that is going into um, into into shaping the agenda for schools
0: and it's through the philanthropic sector it appears as this kind of, uh, Oh, isn't it incredible? These people are very wealthy, but they're giving all their money away, but they're doing so in a way to shape education policy and it's without any kind of democratic. Right. And it's a
1: pretty uniform agenda, standards, mm -hmm. accountability, um, and choice. Mm -hmm. And, and they've really kind of coalesced around that agenda. Um, and 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 in classic
0: right wing, all these things sound great, right? Who doesn't want choice? Who doesn't want accountability? Right. All of these things sound like things we should have in our schools.
1: Right. But the way that they play out, of course, is in a way that benefits the wealthiest families. And it's not just... Um, the thing is, is that even... So, so they have been shown to increase um, segregation, socioeconomic and racial segregation in schools. It often leads to kids with special needs being pushed out of schools. Um,
0: You're referring to the kinds of policies that she's pushing to. Yes,
1: yeah, exactly. I did want to say, so I think it's important for us to understand that this is a pattern in education policy that is not just Trump. Um, It's something that... Was was really clearly evident in the Obama administration as well. So Arnie Duncan was somebody who had close ties to the Gates Foundation, and there was even recently reported in the Washington Post one of the um, one of the government people, um, one of the people from the Department of Ed under Duncan had slipped up at some point and called it the Gates administration. <laughs> so like that's the level that we're talking about and it's and it's a Trump problem, but it's also a Democrat and Republican problem.
0: Right. I mean, the we're, we're as always we're uh, in terms of a political party level, we are left to for with the Democrats to oppose this hard right agenda. Uh, and they're not up to the task on most levels, I would say, but especially on this question of public education because right. uh over the last what 20 or 30 years the democratic party has gone further and further into support for education privatization um, i mean we talk about somebody even like cory booker uh you know the democratic senator from new jersey and the 2020 hopeful uh not only does he support you know charter schools full-throatedly he was on the board of an organization along with Betsy DeVos that was dedicated to increasing, you know, vouchers, which yeah. is like a like even further to the right than, than charter schools. And so uh, the Democratic Party is not very well positioned to be the uh, le- be leading the opposition to the kind of agenda that DeVos is going to carry out.
1: Nor do they seem to want to, because I mean, Arnie Duncan has been tweeting like, "Let her into the public schools." This is a man who said that. Uh, Hurricane Katrina was the best thing that could have happened to Louisiana public schools. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- these, these um, movements in education have been supported bipartisanly. And CLB was a bipartisan... No Child Left no, Behind. No Child Left Behind was notoriously bipartisan. That was like the one issue where Ted Kennedy is shaking hands with John Boehner.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so we're left with a party... And who's party leadership and party figures who are not very well positioned to fight back against this, which makes it all the more remarkable that we had uh, this past week um, during the vote to confirm uh, Betsy DeVos that there was a split. There's was a, it was fifty-fifty, including some Republicans who broke away to vote against uh, yeah. DeVos. Um, so, despite the fact that the, that the party has drifted further and further in the direction of DeVos DeVos's vision for public education. Uh, there was so much of a grassroots level public outcry that uh, people from both parties felt the need to vote against her.
1: Yes, yeah, and I think the important thing is like there's a level on which it's people are talking about the corruption of her as an individual. Um, you know, like she has ties to. So she didn't release the ethics report in advance of the confirmation hearing. She has ties with many
0: of the appointees. Didn't do but, right, yeah. but
1: that's that's an unprecedented yeah, right. um, situation. And also she has ties to like online tech companies um, and, and like lots of there, there's clearly a conflict of interest. But beyond that, um, I think I think where leftists need to really drive that conversation is making sure that now privatization becomes something for Democrats and Republicans that is no longer veiled in the language of the civil rights movement that we've seen from um, from liberals
0: yeah I mean the the mantle of civil rights struggle over the last several years has been used by uh, the school privatizers to say that they're they're pushing for charter schools as like part of you know, carrying out what you know, Martin Luther King would have loved charter right. schools or something like right. that, right? Um, and 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 they've really uh, used that language, they've appropriated that language over the last few years to, to justify um, their agenda. But you were telling me earlier, you think that uh, because of this whole struggle, that, that in some ways. Uh, privatization is becoming more and more of a dirty word toxic concept to get away from
1: yeah that's what i'm hoping and that's what i think we need to what i'm seeing but what we also need to continue to push um as leftists Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: moving forward you know it seems like there's no way to get around the fact that things seem pretty bleak for uh, our prospects of public education i mean do you feel that way as as a how do you feel like you're – what's going to happen to you on a day-to-day level in the classroom uh, in the near future under uh, DeVos and President Trump?
1: I think that's going to be really different for people depending on the different schools that they go to. So um, the school context will will shape that a little bit. I mean, right now, I work in a school where a majority of my, my students are undocumented. So that's obviously very emotionally um, – that's that's kind of the focus right now. I think, um, I think, a lot of a lot of what's going to happen remains to be seen. But the things that Trump and the things that DeVos support kind of give us indications of what could happen. Um, if if in fact the Department of Ed is shut down, we lose billions of funding. Of and just funds to be for, clear,
0: this is something that has been. Proposed. I mean, Reagan uh, under Ronald Reagan, this idea of just scrapping the, the uh, Department of Education as a whole was a really big issue that people were fighting for. And, and right. there's are they discussing that now? Is, is this something that DeVos? Yeah, has, so that's expressed well,
1: well, that's something that Trump has been saying throughout his campaign and has continued to say. Um, and I think that. DeVos, DeVos is sort of a cipher. She seems to not really know anything, so it's sort of hard to parse out like what her um, particular priorities would be other than... I mean, than... this was
0: a part of the damning part of the confirmation hearings. It was, right. it was clear that she actually like, had no idea what right. was going on. What the is IDA? I don't are. know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. so that's scary uh, and, and leads me to think that she would really kind of just be promoting the, and I mean, he appointed her for a reason. Um, but in terms of, of the Department of Ed, they are responsible for administering like 30 to $50 billion of Pell Grants, Title I funds, the IDA, which is the Individuals with Disability Education Act, which ensures that students with special needs have access to free high quality public education, um, that they're that they are being educated in the least restrictive environment possible. So these are really really important bills, and and I think so. I've heard from people like, well, federal government it's only funding eight to ten percent of education, but when we're talking about education, eight to ten percent is still billions of dollars. And I think what people may not realize is that um, state and local funding in the United States is very it's. Regressive. Like we're one of the only of three OECD countries that does not um, provide students on a local level who students with um, from low socioeconomic backgrounds with more funding. Um, so like long story short, poor children get less funding in the United States than than wealthy children. And that's like kind of unheard of on the international stage. Um, which many things are in the United States with education, then we tend to, to be really um, horrible on funding issues. So, so the federal government um, funding is it was set up under the War on Poverty and Johnson with Johnson, um, and it's initially it was called educate the Elementary and Secondary Education Act. And, um, of course, that change to every student succeeds under Obama. But, and, and, and over time, people have been working, again, from, from liberal and conservative backgrounds to kind of undermine the really radically redistributive nature of the legislation as it was first created through NCLB, through ESSA. Um, but, but nevertheless, these are the really most redistributive um, funding programs that we have.
0: And this would impact you, you uh, your school. Right, exactly.
1: Right? Yeah. I work in a school that is a Title 1 school where those fun- that that funding directly goes to things like um, the lunch program. The federal um, funding. Yeah, exactly. And to lowering class sizes. So like here in New York, our union contract requires that Title 1 schools that are where it's something like 60 65% of students um are received for your reduced-price lunch, which is kind of like the way that they determine socioeconomic status and education funding. Um, and so in our in our union contract, those classrooms in Title I schools must have lower numbers of children in them um, than other schools. And that's one example of where that funding goes.
0: And so she could p- pull that funding in many different ways, um, whether it's for the reduced-price lunches, right? Is that federally funded... Yeah, yeah. Whether it's for the reduced class size. All those things could be on the chopping block. Yes. Um, So, things, as I said, seem pretty bleak. Um, (laughs) There's no way around that reality. On the other hand, I mean, this is the the saving grace for lots of people right now, is that uh, things are simultaneous. It's the best of times and the worst of times. The worst of times in terms of the sweet... Uh, of policies that this administration is rolling out on every level uh, the best of times and that we've seen an unprecedented kind of pushback ag- against uh, against these policies. And, and DeVos in particular has received a very strong level of pushback.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. So I think, um, yeah, I mean, there's just so much going on that... It, it it's a big moment of opportunity for the left. I think it's it's something that is so visceral and affects people so profoundly that it gives us a good opening in terms of like um, opposition uniting against these agendas. And as we've kind of already talked about a little bit, um, I I for one hope that this and and I'm starting to see that this has meant that um privatization now becomes kind of a dirty word that is not something that is politically palatable to um support in the way that that liberals have i i think it's really important as i keep saying that like like we were talking earlier about um the some some people some senators um who are like yay pro charter school but anti-DeVos because she has incited this um for a good reason this this like strong reaction in people um and recently there was an op-ed in the Washington Post that was titled something like um charter schools are great but Betsy DeVos's vision for education is what's scary and like I think I think um Transform like transforming that kind of reaction into no. We are anti-charter school because charter schools are shown to increase segregation um, without raising test scores, as as their promise was intended to be. So the vouchers that she's really, really behind, I think. One, This will be like a point of contention for states and local governments because um, even though so the Supreme Court has said that voucher programs are constitutional, but there are lots of provisions in state constitutions. Um, they're called the Blaine Amendments that say that you can't use private you can't use public funds to for private religious schools. Right. So there's really no way at this point that she could um, unleash overnight, like a, a, like close down public schools and just turn them into vouchers. Right. We, there had to be a long
0: protracted public exactly, struggle, and we've exactly. already seen what yeah. what the forces from the left are able to in marshal, two months. That, yeah,
1: you know, good. it's been kind of it's been amazing. I think. I mean, it's a struggle. We all know, as leftists, that we're fighting the long fight. Um, but, but I think that if if we continue to um, get out there and um, really clarify things and, and know what we're up against, then we'll see some change.
0: And then it won't all be just depressing and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah thanks Megan Uh, Megan again is a New York City public school teacher uh, as well as a member of Jacobin's editorial board Uh, you can read her plank in the uh, previous issue of Jacobin the party we need on uh, public education as well as your book uh, Class 4 Uh, check it out on the uh, Jacobin store on our website so thank you
1: thank you